Welcome to Power Yourself, where I talk about the most important topic in the world, you. Financial stress is said to be one of the most common life stresses. It can impact sleep, relationships, and your physical well-being. Today, I thought it would be beneficial to focus on finances. Let's look at tips and tricks to get you started or even continue moving in the right direction. And we got a book today that's going to help you with all of that. Today, we are joined in the studio with the author of the book, Earn, Invest, Retire, Die. A close friend of mine. And guys, somebody whose voice is going to sound very familiar to everybody listening today. It's our past co-host of the Power Yourself podcast. It's Mr. Carl Weeb. Hello. <laughs> it's so weird to be on the podcast and not do the intro. So I'm thrilled to be here today. Thank you for the invite. So excited to have you back in the studio. It feels just like old times and really weird that you're not doing the intro. <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> You did great. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's all a growing <laughs> process. It's all good times. So, Carl, you have this book, but that's not your only book. So you have a couple of books, you know, just to kind of give the audience a kind of understanding a little bit about your background here. It's not the only book that you have. You have a couple of published successful books. So what got you into writing in the first place? Sure, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think for myself, I really fell in love with the process of writing back in junior high school. We had a, a creative writing contest, and so I was in grade seven, and we, it was me and about 50 or 60 other students all sitting in the library, and we, wrote a, we all had to write a story. And so I just kind of, in the moment, wrote a creative story, and I happened to win the contest. So I thought, wow, out of 60 kids, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So I really started to kind of and drill young. down. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. Really and, it was, and I don't want to say it was a fluke. I, I think for me personally, and maybe, I don't know, parents out there can maybe take a page out of this. I think that there's no, nothing really bad that your kid can read. Like I, re I grew up reading comic books, for example, and they're kind of vilified sometimes as being kind of for dumb, you know, dumb kid books, you know, comic books. And they could be Archie's or Superman or Spider-Man. But what the, what the comic books really taught me and I didn't know this at the time, but what they really taught me was the idea of plot and uh, and story and structure. So there's like, you know, typically three acts to a story. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's a struggle that the character goes through. And, and so I really enjoy the idea of plot and the idea of story. And so... Um, I originally got into writing fiction as a kid and then uh, more as an adult I've turned my attention to kind of half and half I like writing fiction but I also really enjoy as this book showcases more of a non-fiction element so there's two types of writing there's fiction writing and non-fiction writing so this book is a non-fiction book uh, talks about finances and the other piece of my life that I wanted to incorporate into it was a humor element because <laughs> I think I'm a pretty funny guy I like to think I'm you know got a good sense of humor and so I really wanted to incorporate it to be a refreshing read for somebody who's interested in finances well it's funny because it absolutely was. So you're taking a really dry topic, or sorry, I shouldn't say that. You're taking what I would consider a pretty dry topic. And honestly, throughout the whole book, it was like you were in my ear kind of joking around about it. So you, sure. it definitely came across as <laughs> your humor oh, kind of good. 100%. It's always tough when you write a funny book and then you're like, does anyone else think this is funny or is it just weird, right? So I'm glad it, I'm glad you found it humorous. Well, it lightened it up too, right? Because it makes it so much of an easier read. And the thing I like the most about it is that I'm reading and kind of chuckling along as I go, but I'm actually learning information too. So I thought that was a huge thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny, you and I have a shared past where we're both, you know, we both have corporate training backgrounds. And I think, you know, because we've worked together and because we've trained together, I think that that's an element that I think really good trainers, they tend to add. It doesn't always need to be funny, but it needs to be emotional on some level. The, the learning can't just be facts and figures. It needs to have some sort of meaning in our life. So I really thought in the context of this book, you're right. You know, finances can be a little bit on the dry side. You know, nobody really likes to sit down and talk about budgeting or will planning. I mean, good grief. I mean, that's pretty boring. <laughs> but there's reasons that this is important. So I tried to tap into those reasons and then I tried to kind of draw them back to a shared experience that we all have. You know, we're all too busy or there's status symbols in the world. So I tried to really pull in those common elements so people could read it and go, oh yeah, me too. I feel like I'm involved and 
it, it hopefully helps with the learning process. Yeah. And it's like a journey. They get to follow along the journey and kind of see where they are and kind of get some tips and tricks around that or more information. Cause there was some stuff in there that I got to admit, I was like, ah, really don't know a lot about stocks. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and so I guess this, that then that's a great point you bring up. I, I think the idea of the book for me was not to be a comprehensive 800 page opus about, you know, every possible financial situation, but it's more like if you were to run into me at say a cocktail party and you said, oh, you know, a bit about finances. And I had, say, 15 minutes to talk about some things. That's what this book was designed to sort of cover. So it's like a little introduction to those areas of your life. So if you're really interested in the way a mutual fund works, you can go research more about it. Or if you're really interested in real estate planning, you could go research more about it. So it's more the idea that it turns things that you may have never even known existed into things at least you're aware of, and then you could go and pursue it more. Yeah, because you're learning that, oh, wait, it's an actual thing. <laughs> exactly. It, it becomes, instead of an unknown unknown, it becomes a known unknown, unknown. which I, I love that <laughs> phrase. You know, we use that in training once in a while too, right? You're telling somebody that it's a thing and then they can go learn more about it. So it sounded like your goal was obviously to kind of just bring some light to the topic to everybody who's reading your book. So when you're researching, because I know like we're obviously friends, so I know that doing a book is obviously going to entail some researching on your part to be able to write something like this. Not that I'm sure you didn't know the majority, but just to get all that extra polish. So I'm just wondering when you were doing your research, was there some maybe like interesting find that you were a little bit surprised about? Sure. That's a great question. So as an author, typically what I try to do is come at the subject from a somewhat unique point of view. So I think that's really important. If you're ever considering sitting down and writing a book, you want to have a unique point of view, one that's yours. So I thought, well, what's my unique point of view? Well, I'm not the world's richest man like Warren Buffett, or I'm not a, a news reporter or you know a financial advisor. So what I am is a, is a guy who's got a sense of humor and I'm like a journalist mentality where I can go seek to understand and I can put those things together so I can write a humor book that has some investing advice in it. And I write right at the start of the book. I said, look, this is a humor book. This is not a hardcore investing book. It's designed for people to learn about the basics. And I don't think there's any advice in the book that is so controversial. You know, the idea of like, live within your means. I don't think that's ridiculous. That's pretty basic, right? So I'm not, there's there's no earth shattering advice in here that a person's going to read and say, this is outrageous advice. Uh, But we do drill down a little bit into some, some detailed things. And it's helping support some positive habits, I think too, right? So even though it might be earth shattering, for me, it's like, if that's your thought process, then reading information that supports that helps you kind of confirm that that's the path you should be taking. That's a great point. For me, the book really started when over a course of a couple years, I would just talk to people, um, it could be coworkers, it could be family members who were asking about, well, what do I do with this money? Maybe they inherited a small sum, maybe they've got a lump sum that they've received from work, but they don't know what to do with it. And when I started talking to them about the options, they would say, well, how do you know this stuff? You know, where's, what's your background? And I just happened to really enjoy watching financial shows or watching a documentary about mutual funds. Like I know some people are going, oh my goodness, get a life, right? But there's other people that they really truly enjoy this area of the world. I happen to really enjoy it. And so for me, I've read a couple finance books that I found interesting, but when I recommended them to friends, they were like, wow, that was tough to read. And I was going, hmm, okay, not everybody's wired the same, right? There's some people really want a lighter sort of a beach read. So what I was trying to do is create like a beach read for fin- for finances. I love that because it's true. And sometimes a lot of the financial books that are probably awesome finds and have so much context and good information in it to sit down and read. It's a, it's like climbing Everest for God's sake. Like it's a huge venture. So absolutely. Like that's a it's a pretty awesome way to come about writing the book to kind of take all of those huge books and make it more, I don't want to say in for dummies. Like that, it's yeah. just that book is like ringing in my head well, right you're now. You're absolutely right. That, that, that 
brand of book really hit a chord with people because they went, you know what, I don't need to spend my entire life learning how to rewire a house. I just want to learn how electricity works. So they come up with electricity for dummies or a computer book for dummies. So it's kind of an inside joke because we're all a dummy about something. And see, I love that because like the dummy word is what gets me Mm -hmm. like so stumped about it. I'm like, come on. We all have like (laughs) interests and we all are experts in certain areas, but other areas we just don't have. I love it that you said like the interest for it so why not get somebody like yourself who's super interested in it and then boom voila create a kind of light read for all of us to kind of get a nibble on it (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that we i just had an an incident happen recently where we had to get a dishwasher replaced and you you tend to run into like people who are working at the house and they'll be an electrician or a plumber and you get that guy who wants to explain everything that he did in the house. Okay, here's exactly how I rewired it. And part of me is like, I don't really care. I paid you money. Fix it. Go away. And Whereas I, it's yeah. funny because that I would be like, tell me everything. Sure. And I have to admit there's things in my life I really want to know every detail about. And there's other things where I say, just make it go away. And so I think there's a lot of people in the world that just want the financial, financial piece to just go away. They don't need need to know every detail but i think it's really it's critically important that we enter the world we enter the workforce as armed and and dangerous sort of you know to be able to go into the world and and create some wealth for ourselves i i really was in my mind and this is the other thing i wanted to mention if you're writing a book you want to have sort of a target audience and for me the target audience of this book Now, anybody can read it, but the target audience in my mind was a parent would buy this book and give it to their kid when they graduate high school or when they are in university. And they're saying, look, you're ready to go out in the world and you're ready to earn, and then you're going to be ready to invest, and then hopefully someday you'll be ready to retire. And these are the things that you'll want to take with you on your life path. So that's, that's the other piece where you had asked about what was the biggest thing that surprised me or the biggest thing that I learned when I was writing the book. It was the idea that we tend to just sort of go along and just earn money and we don't really have a plan in place. And, and it's not a judgment. It's just most of us don't, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to ask 100 people at a party, how many of you have a will, I could almost, you know, unless you're in at a will meeting or something. I mean, if you're at a regular meeting with regular people, most people don't have a will. Most people don't even think about where's all my money stored? How many different accounts do I have? How many different credit cards do I have? If I was abducted by aliens tomorrow and disappeared off the face of the earth, would my spouse or loved ones know where to find all of my information? It's a huge thing. It's kind of scary. And it does happen. And I'm not talking about stopping your entire life for weeks at a time. I'm just saying, take one afternoon on a Sunday and you and your significant other sit down and just make sure to write it all out. Take five minutes and say, well, where is my, what is my PayPal account and password? What is my credit cards? Where's all of my, where's all of my savings accounts and my checking accounts? The older we get, the more we tend to have multiple accounts of things. And it's a, it's a wonderful burden to have that you should be so lucky that when you reach the retirement age, you hopefully have enough money that it's worth you know, having a will, having life instructions, having insurance. These are all things that come into play. And so I just didn't want people to enter the world not even knowing that these were options. Yeah, see, that brings up a really good point to me because you have a story in your book. And I'm not, I promise, I'm not going to give too much away because I want people to go out and buy it and read it themselves. (laughs) So my questions are are very (laughs) high level because I'm trying not to go too deep here. But there's a story in there and all I'm going to say, and I hopefully that will trigger you to remember is the story about the teacher and the donuts. Absolutely. Okay. So that was something that grabbed me and it grabbed me on a couple of levels because I was like, wow, first of all, that's pretty awesome that you had that ability to think that far ahead, (laughs) like to understand what her concept was when she was trying to do this. Guys, I promise I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ruin it by not telling you the story. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm happy to tell the story if you want. Okay, I'm happy to run through it. Yeah, give absolutely. them a little tidbit yeah, of absolutely. the story. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter in the book about, um, well, they're all about wealth. or They're all about sort of creating wealth. And, and I, I tell a story in the book about when I was in junior high, and uh, there's a class of 30 of us, and the teacher brings in donuts the one day. It's like a social studies class. And the teacher gave us all fake Monopoly money. I think we I think it was three hundred dollars each. I'm not I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was three hundred dollars each. And anyway, there's a twelve donuts and we're all grouped off into teams. And the teacher says, Okay, we're gonna auction off these donuts. And so the first donut is up and and you know, it's like some sprinkled donut. And somebody 
bets or wages, you know, it's like an auction and they throw out like a ridiculously high number. It was like $250 right out of the gates. It was a super high number. And I'm thinking, well, we only each have $300, right? Like our little teams, we had like five teams, I think it was, of $300. So I'm going, well, wait a minute. Like I just did the math really quickly and I'm thinking, we're going to exhaust, we're going to buy a donut for way too much money here. So you can do the math very quickly. You can say, okay, there's 12 donuts, there's five teams, there's, you know, $300 per team, that's $1,500 for 12 donuts. You divide 1500 by 12 and you can come up with the amount okay, so per First donut. of all, I never did that. When okay. you were setting up the situation <laughs> at all, I was like, I would be like donut. <laughs> sure. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so the idea would be that you, there's only so much money in the classroom and there's only so many donuts in the classroom. So you can come to a, sort of what they call a book value of each donut. You can say, well, if it's above that book value, I'm not going to purchase it. And if it's below the book value, it represents a good deal. Which I think is extremely smart. But that's the thing that like, I was like, oh, what a beautiful concept to be giving your students in high school. Exactly. Like that's, we've had this conversation and I think that's why this story hit me or like appealed to me a lot more is because we've had the common conversation of, wow, you know, teachers, guys, first of all, if you're a teacher, kudos, amazing job. We know how much time and effort is put into being a teacher that's kind of not really recognized work. And I was wondering if there's a way or maybe if we had this type of learning in school, because I always found my math class, no offense to my math teachers, thank them for really appreciative of them hanging on and teaching me what they needed to. But I never really found it meaningful in a way of like how how is this skill going to impact my life? I have a computer or I have a calculator back in the day. It was never a phone, but it was like, I will have a tool to help me do these numbers. So why do I need to understand it? And that's why I like the idea of the teacher with the donuts, because she's trying to teach you the concept of supply and demand is what it came across as. Yeah, you got it. But she's doing it in like a fun way. So to take, that opportunity to kind of, and as a facilitator, it hit me too, because you're grabbing your audience, you're speaking that to them with donuts, where they're listening, but you're teaching them a bigger concept. So I exactly. guess my question is, or my hope would be that, wow, wouldn't it be so impactful if we can bring more of these meaning, life tangible gifts to our youth in high school where they can learn it and then go out and like you mentioned, giving this book as a gift for somebody who graduated, well, giving them those tools to help them succeed after. Well, you're exactly right. I, I, I can't tell you the number of times in just talking about the book or just talking about financial things in life with people where people will say to me, I, I never learned that. I never knew. Where did you learn this? And you know, I'd like to say that I learned it in university. You know, I have a background in business management, but to be honest with you, you know, they kind of, they talk very specifically about business. They don't necessarily talk about the idea of investing. They certainly don't talk about the idea of retirement and or passing away and having, you know, legal documents surrounding your estate. Those are things that I don't, I don't know that anybody ever has learned in school and that's the mind-blowing yeah. thing to me like that's a huge concept yeah. and even setting them up like budgeting and like thinking about your money and like interest and stuff like that like those are tools you will use on a daily basis once you start getting a job that wow wouldn't I think we have an opportunity here to really prepare the future generations to succeed. You're absolutely right. I, I know like there's, there's, it can get very complicated and it can get very depressing because the first thing I think people, and I'm just totally glossing over all of humanity at this point, I don't mean to, but on the whole though, I think it's very natural for people when they're reading an investing book to get a little bit depressed. They go, geez, I should have started 20 years ago. I don't have that. Yeah. $20 million sitting in the bank exactly. getting more interest. Yeah. So one of the things that I think, which is kind of nice about the book is, is I think, I hope that I start off the book by thinking, you know, use retirement as sort of a, not just this scary monster that, you know, will I have enough money to retire? We all wonder, are we going to have enough money to retire? Instead, picture what your retirement will actually be. Wake up that morning and picture, you know, maybe it's a Sunday morning. You wake up and you go, okay, I'm not working today. If I was retired, if I never had to work again, 
what would I do? What would my days look like? Would I go work for a charity? Would I have a part-time job? Would I travel? Would I go take classes? Would I learn how to play a musical instrument? What would my life look like? And then you can basically reverse engineer that. How much would my life cost on a monthly basis? Would I have my home paid for? Would I live in a condo because I don't want to mow the lawn? Would I travel? Would I own a vehicle? These are questions that you'd want to ask. And then you can basically reverse engineer the cost of it. Using that, you then come up with a monthly amount that it would cost. And then you can come up with an amount of money that you'd need to have to have an income stream that would match the amount of money it would cost. And the thing I like about that, you're taking something that's so kind of out there and no details to it and giving it a picture. You're, you're kind of pegging it down and saying, well, this is what I would actually want. So let's look realistically what that would take. Exactly. I don't, I don't know that we ever really sit down a whole lot and really picture what our retirement looks like until it's very close. And there, and the only reason I mention that is just because we've all worked with people who have aged and they've retired. And I'll usually ask them as they're leaving, I'll say, you know, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? This is so exciting. And about half the time, what I hear back is, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. And I'm thinking, but you're actually retiring. This isn't even a, this isn't even a thought exercise. You're really retiring. And they're, they're sitting there going, I, I never really thought about it. I think they think about the idea of not working anymore. That's exciting. Everybody starts thinking about that. <laughs> sure. And, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way to retire. You know, I know a, a friend of mine who's retired and he works part time and he golfs and he's busier than he ever has been. He's so busy. And I know another person who's retired that doesn't really do a whole lot. They, they sit at home. They're very introverted. They do a lot of reading. And there's no right or wrong. Like they're both fine if that's what they choose to do. What's sad to me is if somebody wants to have that active lifestyle and they weren't given the skills or the opportunity. And now to me, money equals freedom. And so they're going, wow, I'd really love to go travel, but I can't. I'd really love to go buy a new outfit, but I can't. And so that was one of the other things I really appreciated about your book is it was never came across as shame. Oh, you didn't do this at a young age. So guess what? You're totally destined to not succeed here. I feel you spoke to people at different levels of their journey or different places in their journey. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that was your perception of it because that was definitely the intention that there's really, there's never going to be enough money for everyone to retire comfortably. Mentally, they'll we'll always want a little bit more, you know, and that's human nature and that's totally fine. I know I have a friend of mine who's quite wealthy and retired and he's, he, I remember when he was retiring, I, I looked over his portfolio and I said, you know, you're in great shape. And he says, really? I'm really nervous that I'm not going to have enough money to retire. Another friend of mine has way less money, way less. And they're not the least bit worried about it. They're going, eh, It'll, it, it's all going to work out. And I'm going, Ooh, this is the one person they should, maybe should be a little bit worried, right? Um, so again, there's no right or wrong because the person who doesn't have as much money has much more modest plans about retirement. And see, that's, that's important. So it really, another thing that your book brought up for me is just looking about society kind of as a whole. And I wanted to kind of throw this around and talk about it a little bit. What's your specific thoughts on money being one of the main stress contributors in society today? Well, it's a great question, and it's a pretty big question. So, Huge um, question. <laughs> so I can definitely say that I think you have, a, you have a view of money on an individual basis, and then you also have a view of money when you get into maybe a coupled relationship. And so I'll, maybe I'll start with the coupled relationship piece. I think it's important that you want to be on the same page with your spouse or your significant other about not necessarily valuing the exact same things all the time, but at least communicating about if you have a difference, being able to talk about it and not, not like, I love what you said about how the book isn't, isn't really shame based. It's more like, Hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion about what's important to them. So like for myself, like I have, a, I have hobbies, you know, I, I play the drums or I collect, you know, vintage comic books or action figures or whatever, you know, people collect. And I don't, like I have a budgeted amount in my life for, for that. And I don't really answer to anyone else but myself for that money, which is great. Now, my life partner has their own hobbies and it's not my place to ever talk about that. Now we can have a conversation as, as just interested parties, but it's not my place to reach into that pot and pull up money in that pot. So we've, we've sat down and we've decided 
Now, again, this may sound very unromantic, and I want to be very clear. To me, me personally, this is a very romantic thing to do because you can remove this piece from your relationship. And you can say, look, it's just never going to come up. I will say, like my wife and myself, we don't really ever argue about money. It just never comes up because what we have is predefined rules about the way our life works and the money goes into the certain buckets to handle different things. And if we want something else that falls outside of the bucket, we make a plan and we come up with a plan together and then we tackle that plan. So I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. I'm just saying I've done what works for me. Now for myself personally, I've decided what I value in my life. And to me, it comes down, you know, you can use a car as an example, right? An automobile is very expensive. It's a big purchase. And we'll probably buy a few of them throughout our lifetime. And it's tough because you ask yourself, would you rather have the money or would you rather have the car? So it's the same thing if you're looking at, you know, any purchase. Would you rather have a big screen TV or would you rather have the money? Would you rather have a drum set or would you rather have the money? So there's no right or wrong answer. If somebody really values the thing, I would just say, make sure you really value it and that you're not purchasing it just to impress your friends or you're not, you're, you know, you're not just trying to gain status. Um, now for my fit in, fit yeah, in is always, fit, yeah, that's always what I see. Like that's the pain point for money for me or what I see in society is that people are trying to like the term keeping up with the Joneses joneses always rings in my head so you might be like trying to seek that really big house or that nice fancy car so that you're shown as oh you're successful it's a really it's really really seductive to get pulled into that train of thought and and the reason i mention that is because there's just advertising everywhere. There's advertising on television, on the computer. And what happens is it becomes normalized in our society so that it's odd if you don't play along. So like, for example, other than my work phone, I do not have a cell phone. I don't, I just don't have one. And when I tell people this, they look at me literally like, what's the deal? Like they look at me like I have two heads, but I just, don't want to, I don't want to pay the money to have a cell phone. I don't value buying a cell phone. And I don't value a cell phone plan enough to have a cell phone. I also don't like being tethered to the world and mm-hmm. I like disconnecting. And the, but those are, but I'm just talking from a monetary perspective. So for me, I'm very comfortable with that decision. But there's other people that would not be. They would say, well, you know, I, what are people going to think of me? I'm going to be embarrassed. I have to explain why. I have some friends in my life that really like explaining why they've made choices, whereas I, I'm more of the person who just says, I don't value it. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but that's what works for me is to say, well, I really value this or I really don't value this. Um, I'll give you an example of something that, you know, I collect comic books, for example. Well, some of them are absurdly expensive. And anybody else who collects a vintage collectible is nodding their head going, of course, that makes total sense that somebody would spend X amount of dollars on an amazing Spider-Man comic book. It's an absurd amount of money. And if you're not into it, it looks literally crazy. But if you're into it, it looks totally normal. And, you know, there's musicians who collect guitars, for example, you know, thousands of dollars to collect a great guitar. And if you're a musician, you go, of course you would. makes total sense. So there's no right or wrong, right? I think it's knowing what you value and what's important to you. And I think that means being comfortable with standing up for that in a way. Like if not having a phone is a like a thing for you because it doesn't match up with your value system, I love it. Or if buying comic books is, that's your decision. And I think that's something as a society, we're not comfortable, or not everybody's comfortable with doing that. Not everybody's comfortable with saying, I don't value this, so I'm not putting the money in, versus I do value this. You're exactly right. I hear sometimes people will say things like, and and I find this, I'll just use an example, like um, when I grew up, when I was a little kid, my parents didn't have a lot of money. And but you don't know this when you're a kid. You don't realize that the reason you're not playing hockey is because your parents can't afford it. The reason you're not playing hockey is because your parents have, they're so excited for you to go play soccer and you're going, oh, okay, well, you're a kid. You don't know any different, right? And, you know, it's neat hearing parents talk now that there's ballet class or there's hockey practice or there's a band camp or something. And the parents sometimes will act like they're completely powerless. They just go, well, we have to pay for this. We have to do it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I mean, if you want to do it, that's great. But the idea that you've that you have to do it, I would say I would just encourage parents or yourself, 
like any any person to really really look hard at where you're spending your money and ask yourself, are you valuing it? Uh, because if the answer is no, then maybe, and I'd say maybe, I'm not saying definitely, but maybe you'd want to pull that back and say, maybe there's another thing we can do that will still satisfy that criteria that may not cost a lot of money. And I love that. It's even that alternative thinking that it's like, wait a second, or what I try to do, because I love it that you brought up about commercialism. Like mm-hmm. it's, huge and in your face and flashy and oh that means success like it's ingrained in us so once you become aware and start fighting against that in your head I'm just talking about internally right now it it's that conscious effort you have to consciously choose why am I purchasing this why do I want to purchase this and I think it's about being aware and having the ability to talk it through without making that quick purchase. Yeah. And I think too, there's a big, I think that's a great point. I think there's another thing too, I wanted to mention where I'm very fortunate in my life. I've surrounded myself with friends that they're not very judgy at all. So I have a friend of mine, for example, a really close friend of mine who drives a really old car and he got it for a screaming deal. He bought it from a lady on a farm. She only ever drove it on Sundays to church. Literally. I know it's always the joke. <laughs> it's always the hope when oh, you buy totally. a second. He said, effort. I can't believe this. I locked out. My friend of mine recommended this. I went over, I checked it out. It's got really low miles, but it's a really old car. Drives beautifully. And he says, I'm going to drive this into the ground. Hopefully I'll have this car for another 10 years. Now it's already an old car. And he's just unapologetic about it. He's just like, I don't value cars enough to buy a brand new car. Now, I love the idea that he's not asking for anyone else's permission. He's just saying, this is my values. And as friends, my friends, we go, sounds great. Whereas there's another friend of mine, same circle of friends. He bought an Aston Martin. And he says, it's always been my dream to have a really high-end Aston Martin. It's all, I've, I've saved my whole life. I've worked hard. I'm treating myself you know, James Bond is a hero of mine. I'm buying an Aston Martin. And again, same group of friends went, wonderful. And we can be happy for both. It's not, you know, and, and I would ask, I would ask the listener, do you have friends in your life that when you are at work or maybe you're out in the world and you're having a lunch and they look at your lunch and they go, ugh, why would you ever eat that? And it's like, hmm, interesting little window into their soul a little bit to go, why are you judging me about what I'm eating? It's none of your business what I'm eating. Well, it's none of your business what car I'm driving. It's none of your business what kind of house I live in or what sort of hobbies I have or how I spend my money. So, you know, I would, I would hope that the goal would not just be a money issue, but the goal would be to surround yourself in life with people who really support you for you. And they'll be excited for whatever decisions you make. And I feel that once people kind of get the confidence in themselves, you're willing to kind of show up and just be really okay with the decision you've made. You don't need that validation from other people. So therefore you're not going to seek their permission to eat, you know, the chicken fingers for lunch, or you're not going to seek their position or you're not going to seek their acceptance of a purchase you've, what you've bought or something like that. Exactly. And it's really, it's really tough too. I want to point out it's really tough because what you're doing is you're, Like mentally, this is something I learned a long time ago that's really helped me is when I make a contribution to a mutual fund or when I make a contribution to my RSP or even just my savings account, I feel like I'm literally cutting a check to future me. I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to take $200 and write a check and pay future me. And I'm not going to use that money today, but that money will grow over time and retired Carl will reach out 30 years down the road and pick up that money and say, oh, thank you. See, I love that. And if you could, (laughs) like, if you're a visual person, I am. So picturing that kind of cycle or that chain of events, it almost makes it more encouraging for me to do. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm gifting myself with the money later. Exactly. I love it that you brought up, and I think this is rolling nicely into it, in the book, how people with those flashy cars, it is that status of, oh, you're succeeding in life versus people with that big fat bank account, no one knows about. And our society really kind of values or kudos to the person with the big flashy car because it's something we can visually see. You're absolutely right. I've, I've been very fortunate in my life that I've helped out 
numerous friends with their stock portfolios. And so I've gone in, you know, we'll sit down for an evening and we'll go over their portfolios and, and I'll recommend certain stocks or I'll say, you know, you want to diversify or I'll even just talk about what a stock is for them. So they, cause it, it's nervous, right? They're sitting there going, geez, I got this money and I don't know what to do with it. And how close are you to retirement? And we make all those sort of determinations. But the advice is really simple. You want to diversify. You want to have some healthy, solid stocks in there that will grow over time and you just kind of leave it alone. But boy, am I surprised at the amount of people that do not look like millionaires that are actually millionaires. There's a lot of them out there walking around, driving regular cars, mowing their lawn, wearing regular clothes. And the really flashy guys running around, boy, a lot of them have a ton of debt, just maxed out credit cards. And I'm not saying all of them, but there's really, what I found is there's really no correlation. There's no correlation between earning a lot of money and having a lot of money. There's people that earn a ton and they have tons of debt. There's also people that have very modest jobs and have quite a nice little nest egg built up over time. So it really comes down to the discipline, and it is a discipline, of saying, I'm going to delay my reward today to have a greater reward tomorrow. And it's a, it, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting, that, that teacher, that social studies teacher we were talking about with the donuts. Oh, that she, was a social studies teacher? Yeah, she was I a great teacher. I just assumed that was yeah. a math teacher. No, a social studies class, yeah. <sighs> and there was another one that she did too. That even makes it that much more like, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, she was a great teacher. And the other thing she said to us the one day was, um, it, it was, it was a similar thought experiment where she said, you know, I'll give you one piece of chocolate now. And so she had a box of chocolates. I'll give you one box of chocolates now, like one chocolate each now. Or if you say no, tomorrow I'll give you two. Which would you like? And some people chose the one now and some people chose the two the next day. Oh my God. I just watched <laughs> a study actually of where they did it with kids. Right. <laughs> like if yeah, they the could kids wait. kids may take it right away. Exactly. Yeah, and they have no concept of the future. Waiting. Yeah. And I think that, you know... I don't know how those skills are built. I find it fascinating. You're absolutely right. Those kids are going now and you're going, but you'll get two. And I think they weren't even waiting a day. They were waiting like an hour or In maybe even a couple minutes. In the experiment, it was an hour. It, it was, was an hour, yeah. And they're going, nope, I want it right now. And there's some adults that we know in our lives that are exactly like that. Immediate gratification. Immediate, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a tough call in our society because, you know... We all want to feel valued. We all want to feel special. We all want to fit in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pressure in that regard. So what I've chosen to do in my life is surround myself. And I'm only talking about me Mm -hmm. just as a regular civilian. I've chosen to surround myself in my life with friends that share my values. And so I find that it's an easy sell for myself day to day because although I have some very wealthy friends and I have some very modest friends, we all share values about who we are as people and about the good that we do in the world. And we, we celebrate each other's successes, uh, whatever they may be. And so I think that's a really nice goal to have. Um, it can be a bit trickier sometimes with family because you don't really choose your family as much. But I find, especially with my friend circle, that it's, it's, very, it's something I've worked on and it's something that's paid off. And with family and like, let's say the other people in our life, because we do come in contact with people who's not just our friends, like we're out there in society living day to day, we're interacting on a daily basis. So I think this is where we as a collective, we can make the choice to start valuing and start recognizing those non immediate gratification reactions, you know, acknowledging when wow, like you're not going and buying the new flashy car or the next flashy thing. That's it, you know, and start having those conversations so that people don't feel the need to have to fit in that square box and feel almost inadequate when they can't fit in that box. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, as kids, we talk about bullying or we talk about shaming and we talk about fitting in but it's true too when you're an adult you know it's it 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 never feels good when you're in a room full of people and everyone's a shared experience everyone has a shared experience but you and you're sitting there going geez you know everyone's everyone's got that fancy car or everyone's wearing really nice clothes um you know it's i'm not suggesting that you dress like a hobo and that you you know you ride a unicycle to work every day but it would be nice if you you buy functional things that will satisfy what's important to you. I think that's the most important thing, hey? Like just being able to, first of all, look at your own value system 
and be strong with that and confident in that and make decisions based on that. Yeah, and there's another thing too, which is that if you really want something that is a bit frivolous, there's nothing wrong with that. I would just recommend make a plan. So for example, um, you know, I really wanted to go on a holiday. You know, let's let's say I really want to go on a holiday. So, hmm, well, I can't afford it. What am I going to do? Well, maybe, maybe I cut the cable bill. Maybe I don't eat out as much. Maybe I make my meals at home. Maybe I go get a part-time job. There's solutions you can come up with so that you can earn that thing that you want. So I love it. It's not about restricting yourself on a continuous basis. It's going back to what do you value and what are you willing to sacrifice so that you get that or kind of delay gratification so you can get that future goal. And it feels great too. And I think it's important to note, like as you, as you get older and as you do this a few times, you know, buying a trip that you can afford or buying a car and you're paying cash for it. It's a great feeling. And it really reaffirms that you're right, that you're on the right path. It's going to feel good. It's going to feel feel empowering. So, you know, I don't I don't apologize and I and I don't ever make excuses for for people that have money. You know, if they want a high-end piece of artwork or if they want a nice fancy car, that's great. If they can afford it, that's wonderful. The danger comes in, I think, when they want the thing without ever having to sacrifice to get it. And I think there's some there's some noble beauty in sacrificing. There's some noble beauty in picking up a part-time job and saying, I'm going to work a bit of extra time in order to get something extra in my life that I want. And even if it's just that you want to put away extra money, I, I have friends in my, in my life that have said to me, I'm not putting enough savings away. What should I do? And it's like, well, the answer is to me very simple. You either make more money or you spend less money. Those are really the only two options. And so, you talk about that a lot. Yeah. And I really like that because you talk about looking at how much is coming in versus how much is going out and ways to increase incoming if that's what's happening. Yeah. Or that's the kind of restriction here. <laughs> yeah. Life is, life is so stressful that if you can remove a piece of stress and money is such a big piece of stress for some people, you know, there's a, there's an amount in your mind and it's different for every person. So I won't say what my amount is, but, and, and, you know, it's up to every person to determine that amount, but there's a sleep at night amount. So whatever that amount is, that if you had that amount of money in your bank account, you'd sleep well at night. It may be a couple thousand dollars. It may be $20,000. It may be a hundred thousand. I don't know. Whatever the amount is, right? But if you have that amount of money in your bank account, you go, you know what? I can sleep well tonight. I know that if my dishwasher breaks or I lose my job or there's a death in the family, I'll be okay. I can get through it as painful as it's it will be. It's almost like that emergency fund in a way. It is. It's an emergency fund. Now I've heard, you know, there's numbers online and you can look them up and I've heard six months salary. So whatever that amount is, um, you know, that's just a baseline. Some people want more, some people will need less. And so I would recommend what works for you and work towards that goal. Have that cushion and, and invest in yourself to say, now that I've got the money in the account, I can sleep well at night. So I love that piece. It's about investing in yourself. And guys, it's not about, hey, if you don't have that in your account right now, you're failing. And that's what I liked about your book so much is it's you can start anytime, anytime that you're becoming aware and starting to think about the future or realize it's a priority, you can start then. Okay, so it's, it's not too late. It's not over. You can make the conscious effort to start investing in your bank account as one of your priorities now. Absolutely. You can take stock in how what you're spending and you can take stock in what you're earning. And I think, you know, you want to move those two pieces at the same time over time. So if you're not earning enough money, you can sit down and ask yourself, what can I do? Well, maybe I can get more education. Maybe I can get a new job. Maybe I can get a skill. Maybe I can get a part-time job. If you're, if you don't have enough money in your account, you can also say, what, where else in my life can I, can I uh, cut this, the spending? Maybe I can get a roommate. Maybe I can sell my car and buy a lesser car. You know, maybe I can, you know, cut the cable bill, whatever it may be. So, and, and there's other things that people can do too that aren't even necessarily money related, but will decrease the stress in your life. So one of the pieces of the book with the four, sort of the four pillars, we've got earn, invest, retire, and die. Well, the last piece to me was a real life lesson because you could start making a will now. And there's not just a will, but there's also power of living, you know, attorney. There's your, your, your death instructions. That was a big one for me was, you know, how do you want your funeral to actually look? And I, and I think, boy, you know, if, you know, you think about your loved one and if you were to, unfortunately, if something were to happen and you were to disappear tomorrow, 
what a burden to place on your spouse or your loved ones or your mother or your sister or brother. And now they're going, oh man, what's the funeral look like? Where's all the passwords? Where's and having to make all of those big decisions when they're grieving, exactly. I think is a huge thing. So although it might be, you know, thought of as a morbid conversation or people get really uncomfortable when you actually have these conversations. But I think, wow, wouldn't I rather have an hour worth of uncomfortableness than you having to deal with situations when I'm gone? Yeah, to me, I look at it as, I, I went through something similar in my life where someone very close to me passed away and they did not have a will. And it was left to those of us remaining to basically make educated guesses and that's all they were and we're not going to fool ourselves the best guess was still just a guess and i thought hmm if this is me it's a gift i'm going to leave my friends and family it's something that i can do out of love to say to them i've done all the heavy lifting i took an afternoon i sat down i went through it all and then yeah it's a couple hundred dollars to go get it notarized by a lawyer but you know to me that's again it's an investment in the security of your life. You know, you wouldn't drive around without insurance. You wouldn't have a you wouldn't own a huge house without insurance. Well, to me this is like insurance for your family to say they're going to be looked after mentally. And you know, and that's a huge piece mentally. Mentally, yeah, exactly. To be able to say you don't have to worry about this. Yeah. At least you know what I would want. At least you know what I have existing and where it is as opposed to having to as you're grieving go through boxes of paperwork or trying to track down that missing account number or missing password or better yet having to go to the bank and explain to the bank the situation while you're still grieving your the death of your loved one exactly there's very little difference between someone who has almost no money and someone who is a multimillionaire. there's very little difference in the amount of work that has to happen when that person passes away. You take the poorest person and the richest person, and when they pass away, there's still gonna be a funeral, there's still going to be things in their life that are going to be handed off to loved ones. You think about you know, your dresser drawer in your bedroom might have a necklace from a loved one in it. Well, who's gonna get that? Who's gonna get Nana's ring or the wedding dress that's been sitting in the closet? These, are, these, aren't mon like, these don't have huge monetary values, but they're important to someone. It could be a cousin, there could be a friend, there could be a collectible in your life that you go, I really want so-and-so to have this. It's important to write that down somewhere. So and there's things like even like air miles, for example. You know, something as mundane as air miles. Well, some people go on trips every year on air miles. That's worth thousands of dollars. Well, if you pass away, and you've got 40 million bazillion air miles, however many an air mile is, what happens to this air mile? You know, if you write it down, you can make an arrangement and you can say, well, I'm gonna, it may not be a lot of money, but it's less stress for people. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit down and figure it all out. Maybe it's just making the commitment with yourself to, hey, I think it's about time I start having these difficult conversations. These difficult conversations, first of all, with myself to kind of look at what I value and then conversations with other people to let them know what you would want to take place. Yeah, I had an incident happen a while ago where a friend of mine passed away at a pretty young age and he was not a religious person at all. And we went to the funeral and we're all sitting there and this was a funny guy, again, not religious at all. And out came the fire and brimstone and the minister came out and we thought, what is going on? Well, his, his mom put the funeral on and I'd never bothered to check with him or ask him what his religious beliefs were, how he wanted, because he was a young kid, he was in his 20s, right? And it was like, we're all sitting there going, wow, this is so not what I want to have happen to me if I pass away suddenly. You know, I think about my friends and family, and I would hope that they all know me well enough that whatever that funeral would look like, it would be reflective of me. But I don't know that unless it's written down somewhere. There you go. So more of a reason to start having those difficult conversations with each other. Exactly. So Carl, to kind of jump in, go back a step before <laughs> the will-making process. Sure. I know you mentioned a lot about different types of investments. Okay. So for somebody listening here today, give your quick pitch or Cole's note <laughs> version of the different types of investments that people can start looking at. Sure. So I do want to point out that there's no bad type of investment. Okay. So if you have a couple thousand dollars sitting in a bank account somewhere and you go, Hmm, I'd like to invest this money. 
That's great. So I want to back up even farther and just say the best thing you can do from an investing standpoint is live within your means. So that means taking a quick stock of what you earn and what you keep and what you spend. And when that's all said and done and you have a little bit, it could be $25 a month, for example. You know, that's how I started when I was 18 years old and I had $25 a month out my little, you know, rinky dinky part-time job. And I thought I'm going to start investing. Well, I was just me putting my money into a bank account. So the simplest investment you can do is just a savings account, an interest savings account. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's very safe. It sits in a bank. You can have access to it at any time and it pays you some interest. From there, you can jump into something a little more comprehensive, which is a mutual fund. And a mutual fund is a collection of individual stocks. So if you had, say, $5,000, you could purchase a mutual fund. And that's like buying a piece of many hundreds of different stocks. And then once you get up to, say, the $25,000 mark, you could start purchasing individual stocks with that money. And the advantage of that, if you purchase individual stocks, is that you're not paying fees. So you're just buying a stock, you pay a one-time fee to buy the stock, and then you just own it forever and they'll just pay you a dividend for the rest of your life. So what comes up to me when you say stocks, like this is just, you know, just going back to kind of initial reactions and it's scary. It's like, oh my God, I'm gambling. Am I gambling? (laughs) What's the chances of losing versus what's the chances of actually benefiting your retirement? Yeah, that's a great question. So the more risk you take, the more your chance for a reward. And I say chance for a reward. So for example, let's go back to the first, the first example would be the savings account. Let's say the savings account pays 1% interest. You know with 100% certainty you're going to get 1% interest, but that's all you're going to get. You're not ever going to get more than that. You're never going to get less than that. Your money's very safe, but it's also very limited. When you move to the maximum risky one, which is the stocks, you're purchasing pieces of companies. So for example, like if I came to you today and said, hey, I've got a pizza restaurant and I'd like you to invest in it. That's a pretty risky investment, but there's also very high reward as well if it pays off. So instead of putting your life savings into one business, you could take your $25,000 and invest it in say five businesses. You could own a bank stock, you could own an oil stock, you know, telecommunication stock and so on. So you're owning $5,000 chunks in each of those businesses. So it's gambling in the sense that there is risk involved. However, the difference between gambling and investing is that gambling is more chance. It's more random chance. It's more of a speculation. Okay. So I'll give you an example of a stock that really is gambling. It would be buying a junior oil company and the company's job is to go out into the world and drill oil wells. And there's, it's a binary choice. The oil well is going to come up empty or it's going to come up with oil. So that's it. Those are the only two options. So if you invest your money in an oil stock, that is this junior oil, they're either going to be completely broke or they're going to win the lottery. Those are really your only two choices. 50-50 here. 50-50, right? Well, maybe. Hopefully it's 50-50. That's pretty good odds. <laughs> so it, that's a speculation. You don't know if there's oil in the ground. They can make an educated guess and all that stuff. That's, that's gambling. That's speculation. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. If that's how you want to invest, that's great. The other option is true investing. So true investing is purchasing an asset that accrues value over time. So if you purchase a stock in a company that has a history of growth, a history of profitability, chances are good that they're going to continue to grow and continue to be profitable. So it's like owning a piece of a balloon and that balloon slowly inflates over time and gets larger and larger. So your little $5,000 investment over time balloons as well. It grows to be 6,000, 7,000, 10,000, 20,000. So the investing is risky. There is risk involved because sometimes that balloon doesn't go big. It goes small, right? Sometimes the value of your investment goes down, but you would hope that over the long term, the value of the business would continue to increase. And as such, your investment would continue to increase as well. So I think something for me, because I was uncomfortable with it. And like I said, I told you my first reaction was like, ah, danger, gambling. <laughs> like, totally. So I seeked help. So I actually went to, you know, sit down and look or talk with my bank and kind of look at my options to educate myself more around the different types of, 
you know, investing and the, the kind of what suits me best if I don't want to really go too risky. Exactly. And so there's a, there's an investment vehicle for people who are risk adverse or people who are very risk tolerant. So you strike me as just based on our quick conversation here as someone who's a little leaning towards the risk adverse side. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. So to me, there are vehicles in place to help satisfy that investing style. So I would recommend something like say a mutual fund, for example. So you're right. If you owned 300 different stocks, chances are very high that one of them is going to be a complete loser. Chances are very good that one of them is going to be a huge winner, but you don't know which one of the 300 will be the big winner and the big loser. So just buy all 300. And overall, the portfolio will grow over time. And the reason it grows over time, this is a common question I get too, is, well, how do you know the portfolio is going to grow over time? And the idea is that on the whole, over the last 100 years, economies in general grow over time. So the Canadian economy has grown over time. We have more people, more jobs, more money. Businesses tend to grow. And as such, the stock market value tends to increase. So you're playing a long very long, very diversified Las Vegas gambling game. <laughs> you know, so it's like it would be like kind of like roll, it'd be like rolling at the dice, right? If you have two dice in your hand, so you have a one to 12 probability, and I say you're going to roll the dice. If it comes up 12, you're a winner. If it comes up any other number, you're going to be a loser. You probably wouldn't take that bet because you'd have an 11 out of 12 chance of losing. But if I said to you, you're going to roll that dice 10,000 times, and if it comes up once as a 12, you're a winner. Any other number, you're going to be a loser. So you'd probably take that bet because you have 10,000 chances to get one 12. So you, chances are you'd risk everything you own because you know with pretty much a mathematical certainty it's going to come up as 12 at least once. And that's all you need. So you can play these probability games in your mind. So you can ask yourself, you know, a company like Apple, are they going to continue to be profitable in the future? Are they going to continue to grow? Well, that's where you do a little bit of research. And if you're not into that research, then you can just buy a mutual fund. You can say, I'll buy Apple and 299 other companies. <laughs> and I think the important thing, because we mentioned earlier how this is some people's piece of pie, and this is other people's really not. <laughs> totally. So it's okay to reach out and ask for that help. You know, there's no shame in getting information from people. There are people like yourself that really enjoy this aspect of life. So why not reach out and get some help so that you can become more informed and make the best decision for you and where you are in the moment? Exactly. The way I look at buying stocks for myself is I purchase them with the goal of never selling them. So it, like a typical dividend on a company would be 4%. So let's say you buy Royal Bank, for example. Royal Bank is a solid Canadian bank that's been around forever. They're profitable and they grow. Okay. So it's a very safe investment. It's in many core holdings that Canadians own. It pays about a 4% dividend. So if you purchased the stock, for every dollar you buy of stock, you're going to get back every year 4 cents. They're going to pay you a dividend. And it's off of their profits. They just pay you back a little bit of saying, thank you for owning the stock and here's a little dividend payment. Well, if you never sell the stock, you're just going to get 4% for the rest of your life. So it doesn't really matter once you purchase the stock if the stock price goes up or the stock price goes down. As long as they pay you the 4% dividend, you're purchasing the equivalent of a job. So a very easy calculation you can do if you're looking to retire is you can ask yourself, how much money do I need every month? So let's say I needed... Let's even go as far as a year. Let's say I needed $40,000 a year to live my life, okay? Which is kind of standard, you know, average, you know, salary that a Canadian might have when they're retired. $40,000 a year. Well, using the 4% model, you'd need a million dollars in the bank so that 4% of that would be $40,000. So that's where that million dollars kind of comes from. You might hear that bandied about. People say, oh, I need a million dollars to retire. The million dollars comes from... 4% gives you $40,000 of income. Now, people, at, when they hear this, they go, well, I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Now I'm going to be living penniless and homeless under a bridge somewhere. But that's not true because Canadians have a pension plan, the CPP, the Canada Pension Plan, and they also have what they call OAS, which is old age security. And that kicks in at 65 as well. So there's government uh, pieces in place to pay you an income. So to help. To help. With that base of whatever your retirement plan looks like. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also very reasonable to think that once you retire, let's say you did, you know, good for you. You had a million dollars in the bank when you retired. You would also peck away at that million dollars over time. 
The big question you have when you retire or when you're thinking about retirement is nobody knows with any real certainty how long you're going to live. Yeah, that is the thing, right? Like, it's frustrating. And I think the process too becomes, well, I don't want to save all my money for when I retire. What about if I don't make it? Exactly. And you're, you're absolutely right. I don't want to deprive my life. And I think that's the hard battle that people face. You're exactly right. Do I right. spend now or do I hold out and wait? And I truly believe that there is a balance in there Absolutely. To appease both sides. Absolutely. And there's there's many like there's lots of sort of rules of thumb that you hear in the world like you know you should save 10% of your income or you should, you know, maximize your RSPs or you know $40,000 a year is what you want to shoot for. There's no right or wrong, but I will say having something every month that you're putting away just mentally feels good. It feels like you're paying that future self a little bit. And then the other thing that you want to think about as well is when you retire, you know, and you do pass away at some point, who's going to get the remaining money? You know, let's say you, let's say you, you hit a home run, you have a great job and a great career and you invest very wisely and you wind up with $4 million and then you pass away. Well, who's going to get your $4 million? Does it go to a charity? What a great legacy to leave at the end of your life to say a charity is going to get a huge chunk of my wealth to make the world a better place and pay it forward. I think that's an awesome thing to actually, I don't want to say get excited about, but you know, if you're going to die anyway, what a great way to go out. What a great exit to say, you know, here's a, you know, I've always loved animals and I'm going to give this money to the animal charity, or I really love education. I'm going to set up a bursary, you know? So those are things that you'd want to think about as well, um, to kind of pay it forward. Yeah. And I think throughout like today's session, we've definitely given some tips and tricks tips and tricks throughout the whole podcast. So we looked at getting outside help. So getting yourself informed, okay? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to talk to people who really enjoy this aspect or maybe even just read some books about it. We've also looked at tracking your spending versus, so what your income is versus how much you're spending. So making that conscious effort to really track how much how much you are spending on a monthly basis. And then looking at basing a budget around that. So looking at basing a budget so that you can live within your means. Also, we tossed around the idea about that emergency fund. So putting away money so that you can feel comfortable if anything happens. Just that emergency fund. Dishwasher, like you said, Carl, if that breaks, you know what you're able to do or you know that you have a little kitty to rely on. There's something that I call the $2,000 trap and that it's if you save up $2,000, that's just the right amount of money to go on a holiday or it's just the right amount of money to treat yourself to a high-end you know, treat in your life. And boy, it takes a lot of discipline to take that $2,000 and put it away, lock it into a savings account. And you know, it's there if you need it, because boy, if little kitty cat needs to go to the vet, or if your car breaks down, or you need, you know, some life emergency happens, you need to take an emergency plane trip. It's really nice to have that peace of mind that that money's there. So which is really important to look at what is actually important to you. Okay, and make a plan for success around what's important. Also, share the basics of money, guys, something so simple. Start talking about money and how you have to, you know, budget and looking at all those good traits to the future generations. Let's start impacting them so that we can set them up for future success as well. Yeah, the one thing that really kind of breaks my heart is when I see young kids when they're given things, as opposed to even having the facade of having them earn it. One of the best things my dad did for me when I was a kid, quick story, I was, I think I was seven years old and I was mowing a lawn and I was weed whacking the lawn and shoveling the walk. I really wanted a new bike. And so we went to the store, went to the Canadian Tire, and the new bike was $80, which was, a, I mean, it might have a little bit a million dollars, $80 when you're seven years old, that's, that's a fortune. So I was getting an allowance. And my dad said, you know, if you save up $80, you know, you can buy this bike. And I was like, oh, geez, okay, well, thanks, dad. Okay, 80 bucks, that's a lot of money. So I saved up $80 in my bank account. And I mean, it was a fortune. It took me about eight months. And we went to the, and I said to my dad, I want to buy the bike. So we go to the Canadian Tire 
And my dad says, you really want this bike? And I said, yep. He says, you have the $80 cash on you. I said, I do. He says, you want to give up $80? You're in all the money you have in the world to get this bike. I said, I do. I want the bike that bad. And he said, okay, I'll buy the bike for you. And it was like, it was the facade of me earning it. So I kept, got to keep the 80 bucks. My dad did buy the bike for me. But it was the idea that I didn't just want it in the moment. For six months, I worked. Boy, did I, I rode that bike into the ground. I loved that bike. See, there's something to be said of that, though, because you're, you're teaching them so many different values. First of all, make sure you want it. Spend the time to really think and make sure that's something of value to your life. You're also saying delay the gratification. It's not about getting it in the moment. It's about that feeling too of being able to get it once you've earned it. Yeah, it's it's, it's so much more powerful. I think you know if you could win the lottery tomorrow, win a million dollars, or if you could earn a million dollars, I would rather earn the million dollars. Well, no, because it's then take you know work. you can continuously get the million dollars totally. too, right? Yeah. It's such a rewarding feeling. Yeah. Because you've provided value in the world worth a million dollars. Yeah, so many little pieces. And then also, guys, (laughs) just start talking about money. Start making it more of a conversation so that it's not this big, awkward thing. You know, we talked about setting up a will. Share your kind of ideas and values of what you want that to look like with your loved ones. Maybe start there. And then maybe the next step is, like you said, Carl, going and bringing your will and getting it notarized. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to... You want to have documents in place so that your stress is lowered. Money does not need to be a negative. I don't look at money in my life as a negative. I'm excited when I get to contribute every month to my RRSP. And I get excited when I go out and I treat myself. There's, there's, there, there are both positives in my life. Even though one is spending money and one is investing money, money to me is not a negative. Money represents to me opportunities to make my life better. And Carl, I just want to say like a huge thank you. Like the book, your book of Earn, Invest, Retire, Die, that's what sparked this conversation today. That's what sparked me wanting to be like, hey, money is a huge stressor. Let's start talking about it. And your book helps share the information so that people can take the steps to set up what's right for them. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, you had asked earlier about how the book kind of came to be. And we were, me and my wife and a friend of mine were driving, we're on a long road trip. And the friend was asking me questions about money. And me being on a road trip and I'm driving and we're joking around and we're all kind of being clowns in the car. And so I'm talking about money, but we're doing it in the context of us being jokey clowns. And that's when my wife said, that's the book. And I was like, oh, and it was like a light bulb went off. And it was like, that's the book. The book is funny, it's light, it's not meant to be a heavy read, but it just opens up the idea that there's a huge financial world out there to learn about and it can be a fun way to learn about it. Well, you definitely did that. I swear your your voice, <laughs> it felt like you were reading it to me. Like it really had that funny kind of banter dialogue going back and forth. I appreciate that. Thank you. So guys, I'm going to have this posted on the Facebook page for you. So it's Earn, Invest, Retire, Die by Mr. Carl Weep. Well, thank you for the opportunity and I wish you all the best in this podcast. I love this podcast. I think you're doing a great service and I'm happy to be a part of it. We will definitely get you back because we know that you have a couple of more books out there. <laughs> so thank you so much, Carl, for coming into the studio today. Really appreciate it. And I'm really hopeful that all of our listeners got something to take away to kind of help them start working towards their goals and what they value around their money in their life. So guys, that's a wrap on another episode of Power Yourself. As always, thanks for everybody for tuning in and taking the time to listen to the episode. Please take a minute to leave a review. We have a Facebook site and iTunes as well. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And guys, the most important thing, just don't forget in the midst of your day to make that conscious effort to power yourself.